Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church today. We hope this message blesses you. If you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com. Now here's the message. My daughter Clara has a friend uh, back in Madison where we moved here from four years ago. I moved here for four years ago, and um, she's really the only one that still has roots in back in Egypt, and um, God had moved us on, but she still has something back there, and so last Saturday, Jennifer and I drove her up to Columbus and dropped her off with a family that we trusted to take her the rest of the way. They were actually going up for a a long, long long-intended baptism that was coming to pass, and we gave thanks together, shed a few tears together. On the way back, we really enjoyed the time. We had hit Costco and Sam's. We even played Scrabble at the coffee shop, and I was behind the whole time until the end. I played softies on the triple letter for triple word for 95 points, and I won, so there's that. Um, But in the course of our conversation, something happened to me, unforeseen, and I felt the heavy, this is the best way I can describe it, the heavy press of the Spirit of God that I should bring Romans 1 before this body of believers. And I lean on Romans 1 for creation reasons. I had never looked at it this way. There's our other evidence. I'd never gone there before with this passage. But I want to deliver it to you the way the Lord gave it to me. And Uh, Andrew was kind enough to let me take his Sunday. Uh, As you know, we're on a Bible reading plan, and it kind of forces our hand, and that's the kind of force in the hand that we need. It's the Word of God. Amen? So this, this happened to be this week. I had no idea. It was just Romans 1. But my Jennifer looked to me and said, hey, baby, that's like next week. And I was like, what? Well, yeah, we're coming to the end of Acts. Paul's about to go to Rome. So I knew we were getting close, and it's the first chapter in Romans, right? So I knew it would be this, this week. So, so anyway, here, here we are. Knowing this, in my mind, it was not chance at all that Vince Perpero was here last week, the missionary, to present and gave the illustration of chipping away at the rock, chipping away at the rock of the believer. The believer is being sanctified. This is the idea of progressive sanctification, not in contrast to, but in concert with positional sanctification, wherein God has set us apart, set us apart as a chosen people for himself, not because we earned it, and quite the opposite, right? But this is progressive sanctification. We are in a continual process of becoming more like whom? Jesus. We are in a continual process of becoming more like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Clearly, if we're going to be more like Jesus, we are going to have to change. Now, we know this deep down. When, for example, when do we, I'm not saying we should, but when do we question someone's salvation? When we don't see the what? We don't see the change. We don't see the change. We're getting there, Joy. Thank you. (laughs) We don't see the change, right? The 10,000 talents, I've shared this with you before uh, for a different reason. It was about forgiveness. So right before this part, Peter says, Peter says, the Lord, I'm going to paraphrase, 
I know I'm supposed to forgive my neighbor, but what's the threshold? I mean, how, how long do I really have to do this? And Jesus, <laughs> that question is so off base that Jesus takes him this direction, which is what we love about Jesus. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. And I made a big deal out of that last time. It's an unpayable debt. The mind races as to what? How did you even get in this kind of debt? He's probably day trading or something like that. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And it was so pathetic because the king knew it was impossible. He's promising something he cannot keep. It was so pathetic that he has mercy on him. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him. He said, I'm going to give you a discount, right? No. I'm going to give you 20% off. Mm -mm. No. He, gave, he, he forgave it all. This is how the Lord forgives us, right? Don't hold on to any of that. If you have leaned on the Lord in repentance, you know you are forgiven. He didn't leave any of that. He didn't give you the discount. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, which is like pizza money. And seizing him, he began to actually engage physical force. He chokes him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant pleaded with him and said, have patience with me. Does this sound familiar? I will pay you. He refused and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went, what? And they went and reported their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him to him and said, Now he reacts, not just the servants. This is the master. You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servants as I had mercy on you? They were looking for what? The change, right? He had seen an attribute of God engage in his circumstance, and it's called mercy. Mercy is not a human construct. That only comes from the Lord. He had mercy in his life, and they were looking for the change. Because when God engages in our life, we change. We become more like Jesus. Now, on the issue of questioning someone's salvation... Be careful with this. We do not see what God sees. And we have on good authority that our thoughts are not God's thoughts. Neither are our ways his ways. But Jesus encourages us to look for the fruit, like you said. To look for the fruit. There's nothing wrong with looking for the fruit. Jesus calls us to do that. When we walk by faith, in step with the Spirit, Jesus is keeping us on the path of righteousness. And this, was, this is the idea of the yoke of Jesus. And, and so Andrew had so, so greatly illustrated this not long ago, that Jesus has us in the yoke, and he's walking us along the path of righteousness, the way of life. Each time, keeping us on the path, making us more and more faithful to the path, each time God shows up in our lives. As we deviate from the path towards earthly things, we only turn back when God shows up in our lives. The conviction of the Holy Spirit, an answer to prayer, the miraculous, his gracious provision that we recognize as the Lord. We only turn back when God shows up in our lives. The world cannot do that. Only God can turn us to God. So let me ask you, is it possible to see God in our circumstance and not be changed? 
That brings us to Romans 1. In Romans 1, 18 through 23, we see that the wrath of God is poured out from heaven upon all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resorting mortal man, birds, and creeping things. These were not atheists. They knew God. And they missed it. Paul makes the argument that in God's creative ability, in the beginning, God, when he created, did so with at least the intent that we should know him better. Like whom? Jesus. That we would know God better, like Jesus. Now, I want to make plain that that answer is not only yes, but that it happens all the time. Before we do this, there are two things to understand. First, God does not do anything by mistake. His movement in our lives is not passive. And we hear have from Paul, even with the creation, he showed it to them. This was intentional, that we should see God in the creation. Because we are not just like Jesus yet, he is continually changing us. All of his movements are productive to those who will receive them. Jesus had the words of life, and yet there were many who did not receive them. Some of them had him killed, right? Satan, our adversary, is on the other end of this equation trying to prevent this change, that we would be more like Jesus. Second, God is an authority over all the pieces. I'm fond of reminding my family members of this <laughs> in the home. God is in authority over all the pieces. This is the massive principle that has taken a bit of a walk with the Lord for me to just touch on, just barely grasp. When I left Madison, I had put in my 90 days, but that's all the Lord gave me was it was time to go. I didn't have anywhere to go when I gave my 90 days. This in itself was a step of faith. But when we knew the time was drawing near, I was looking at the opportunities that were available to me in that moment. There were three, two that really appealed, one that did not. One was Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Beautiful place. Anyone recognize Coeur d'Alene, Idaho? When I was out in Montana for four years going to school, I really liked it. San Antonio, Texas. We're the only family members that are not in Texas on both sides of the family. They wanted clinical Spanish, and I speak clinical Spanish. And, and I thought, yes, these are a great fit. God slammed both of those doors. The other one was Oxford, Ohio. <laughs> Never heard of it. Never heard of it. And so we look at it, and we're like, well, is there like a donut shop or something there? And there is, praise God, right? One of the best. You know, you can't get more donut for your money than Oxford Donut Shop. So, so we're like, hey, there's like a major university there. 
baby, you should like get your foot in the door and maybe we can put the kids through college. So, so she, she has started to apply, apply for jobs at Miami. No, no. And we're expecting a quick sale on the house, right? Anytime you sell a house, you're looking for a quick sale. Now, our prayer was not quick sale. Our prayer was, Lord, let us give you thanks for exactly how you transact this, right? That's exactly what we prayed. But what we wanted is a quick sale. That didn't happen. In fact, it didn't happen for so long that we had to really rethink what we were doing. I had to move down here and live in an apartment for six months. I'm a married man with a family, and I'm living by myself in an apartment for six months. You talk about a radical change. No responsibility. I'm just living in this house. You've got to be intentional to live like that. And I was. Praise God. But one of my more shameful characteristics is that for years I did not take vacation nearly the way I ought to. I worked a ton, and I didn't take a lot of vacation, and I did kind of hang my head about that for a long time. But God, look at this. Remember, he's in control of all the pieces. Now we're going to have to pay for an apartment and this house. You know why? Because we didn't sell it yet. The one thing in that contract that really did come through for me in the end, as opposed to the things that I didn't like, is my vacation rolled over indefinitely. I don't know why they wrote it that way. It paid for six months of my apartment. It was a six-month lease. Praise God. Didn't see that coming. Then the house still hasn't sold. So now we brought the boys down to live with me because they're going to enter into a new school. And Claire was still in elementary school, so it was girls at Madison, and it was boys here. And I have to move into a rent house. Well, it's not the 80s anymore. Rent's a mortgage, right? <laughs> so I'm like, what? what is going on, right? Well, in the meantime, Jennifer's working for Morton Salt. They give her a massive promotion. And I say massive, it more than doubled her income and gave her invaluable resume <laughs> experience. And hey, it's okay. We can pay for it, right? So then finally, finally, after all the naysayers, we have ring doorbells, so you hear what they say, right? Because you're like, oh, what did they say? So they leave the house, and they're like, oh, the carpet's too dark. Oh, the kitchen's too small. All these naysayers. We're a year and a half. Not this couple. This is the best house they ever saw. Amazing. We've been looking for this house all this time. Young policemen. They love this house. Loved it. Amazing. God provides. So now he provides. Guess what? Jennifer gets a call. From whom? Miami. Hey, this is the same time. You want this job? We got a job for you. We think you'd be great for it. Is there a chance you could do it in person? Yeah, that's my, my weekend to come down. What? Wow. God's in control of all the pieces. I could go on with this move. God is in control of all. He is in authority over all the pieces. That's what I mean to say. There are times when we clearly sense our vulnerability to the flesh, the earthly agent of our adversary. For example, when we're in the presence of an old addiction, you sense it. You sense the vulnerability that we would just let the flesh right in. This is an inroad for the flesh, and it's an obvious one. When we aren't charged for a grocery item, for example, you know the feeling regardless what you did with it. You know the feeling I'm talking about. We know that this is an inroad for the flesh when there's no one watching, watching Amazon originals. 
you know what you're getting into, right? This is an inroad for the flesh. We must lean heavily on the Lord if we are to resist the flesh and stay on the path with Jesus here. Less obvious, perhaps, are on repeat in our house, namely, lateness, darkness, aloneness, drunkenness, and truth or dare. In these cases, we're generally not sensitive to our vulnerability. And with the exception of drunkenness, and quite possibly truth or dare, we aren't yet sinning. The opportunity, the inroad for the flesh here, is in this common denominator, our normal daytime inhibitions that govern our daily lives do not have their normal potency. They lack that potency. We know our inhibitions, many times not realizing that the potency is being pulled out from beneath them. And beckoning, the beckoning of the flesh is somehow not as offensive as it seems like it should be. We know what our inhibitions are. Why is this not bothering me? as much as it usually does. Have you ever noticed that anxieties are far more dramatic at night than they are in the light of day? And as a rule, we don't realize that fact in the moment. Or the content of what you text your love interest or say on the phone to him or her late in the night must wait until then to somehow seem more appropriate to say? If these are less obvious than the others, our subject today may border on imperceivable. And yet... It is arguably the most dangerous, more dangerous than any of those. Here it is. Every time we see God in our circumstance is an inroad for the flesh and an intentional one. Let me set the stage. Genesis 3, just to take it all the way back. Genesis 3, God has told Adam and Eve, enjoy all the fruits of these trees around the garden. Just don't eat of the one in the midst of the garden. It, it, it's going to kill you. You're going to die. Right after this, Genesis 3, the adversary. Satan comes to Eve. Did God say that you can't eat any of these trees? Actually, he said we can eat of all these trees. Just don't eat of this one. He said we'll die. <laughs> right? No. God was going to teach them what it's like to obey. And Satan says, mm-mm. They were going to be more like Jesus, right? Mm -mm. No. He stands in the middle. Think about it. God is continually showing up in our lives to make us more like Jesus. Think the Spirit. Okay? Satan is continually trying to prohibit that change. Think the flesh. In Galatians 5, Paul says what is one of the most useful uh, useful verses I've ever engaged in in my walk with Jesus. And he says, but I say, after he says, don't Consume each other in your bickering. But I say, walk with the Spirit, and you will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. This is helpful. This is really helpful on many levels. But he goes on, and here we, here, this is what we, I'm coming to. He goes on to say, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you, and, th- and praise God for this, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Thank you, Jesus. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, 
sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Think with me for a moment. Can you imagine anyone living in an unrepentant lifestyle with one of these surrendering to the Lord as king? It's incompatible. But the fruit of the Spirit is three one-syllable fruits, three two-syllable fruits, and three three-syllable fruits. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. And in more recent times, I was reminded, and some of you probably need to hear it too, this is not others' control. What is it? It's self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Love, joy, peace, patience. Who does that sound like? Jesus. The Spirit is making us more like Jesus. This is what we're talking about. If you see God, oh, let me back up. We're going to make this even more clear. That's Galatians 5. This is Jesus. Matthew 13, 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. He was already making some progress. Here it is again. God has engaged with the truth of his word, and the adversary prevents the change. If you see God, Satan is going to try to take it from you via the flesh. He'd like nothing more than for you to dabble in these. But the real game, when Paul says we don't fight against flesh and blood, is this. He does not want you to become more like Jesus. Now, you may think, I don't know, I, I don't think the flesh is taking it away from me. I want to make the argument for a moment that we run the very real risk of neither acknowledging him nor giving him thanks, just like Romans 1, in at least three ways. In his creation, straight out of Romans 1, he shows him the creation, the divinity of his nature, the eternity of his power. You don't have to look hard to see those in creation. And they miss it. They're not even atheists. They know God. But they did not honor him in that, and they did not give thanks to him, right? We run the risk of doing that same thing in his creation. The theory of evolution. The theory of evolution tries to jumble some elements of truth of how things really work, and then a lot of things that aren't true. And the first one is, there is no creator. This is part of the theory of evolution. I took this class in my biology degree. It was called evolution. There is no creator. Richard Dawkins, strong professor of the... Um, Theory of evolution. I watched him as he said in the answer to the question, where did it start? In all likelihood, aliens planted it on the earth, which only asked the question, where did aliens come from? <laughs> right? We just pushed it off. But look at this. People say, this world says, it's a total lie, total bollocks. They say, if you really chase down science, it's going to push you away from God. Let's look at God's creation for a moment. Child is about to be born, about to come out of the womb. Let's say this one's a boy, just to make it keep the pronouns the same here. We all know what that pronoun is, right? T. So this is a boy, child, coming out of the womb. 
This child has never breathed. He's never had the intent to breathe. Nine months. He's never thought about breathing. The reflex that forces us to breathe before we're poisoned by carbon dioxide, he doesn't even have that. Never even thought about it. He's getting all his oxygen through the umbilical cord from his mama, right? Until now. He's in a warm, aqueous environment. As he exits, it's not warm and it's not wet anymore. And something happens that we carry to this day as adults. It is a reflex, a weird reflex. You want to see if the pool is warm, right? <laughs> but you live in Ohio, right? And it's only now. You touch that toe. What do you do? What do, you do? It's cold. <gasps> right? Why? Because we have sensors for warm, cold, cool, hot, and very hot and very cold, which are the exact same sensor, by the way. Very hot and very cold are the same sensor in the spinal cord. That overwhelming sensation of temperature comes up a track through the spinal cord that is right up against, this is the Lord, the respiratory center. And it's so excitatory that it collateralizes and forces the diaphragm to contract and we inhale. This child is exposed to the air and for the first time has this urge to breathe. And it goes <gasps> like this. And this lung that's been an absolute pancake from the very beginning, when the cells formed and made this thing, it's never opened. There are two of these. That <gasps> forces a vacuum inside the system immediately because all, this, all the blood's running backward this time. It's running backward through the heart through a little valve that's open for this very purpose. That's normative, actually, up to this point. And the blood's running backward through the heart until this very moment. And he goes, <gasps> and it opens that lung, and it opens up, and in a second, he's going to cry about it. That's never happened before, right? This thing tears apart and opens up, and the vacuum pulls, and it slams the valve, and all the blood turns around and goes back through the body the other way, and he starts <sighs> oxygenating his own blood. This happens every time. It's amazing. And I was like, praise God. That's amazing. I'm in class with all these evolutionists, and I'm like, holy cow, right? This happens every time. So we have two kids, Harrison and Dean. They've got the pictures in the baby book. And then we have the third one. She's got like two pictures and she's married already, right? So we've got Clara. And Clara was born in a tub in our bedroom. So we're in this big, we just sloughed off all the red tape at the hospital. Give me a break. So we've got this tub at home. And I can offer some physical support because I'm in the tub, right? So, so finally, Jennifer, she's, she's ready for business now. So she backs up against the back of the tub. And she pulls Clara out like this and passes her to me. And I catch her. She's under the water. Warm, aqueous environment to warm, aqueous environment, right? She doesn't have any reason to breathe. She's still being oxygenated through her mama. Getting the vernix off this child. Baby comes through. Finally. We don't even know it's a girl. We've never had any ultrasounds or anything. Could have been a dog in there, right? We had a heartbeat. So, <laughs> so she pulls the baby up, and the baby's on her shoulder. This is the third time, y'all. And she does it. I'm like, praise God! That's amazing! That is amazing! How are you doing with God's creation? Have you enjoyed a sunset? Have you realized the pleasure that that gives you for what? Why? Why would I be pleased to see a sunset? Here's the world. Here's the flesh if you're ready for it. The only reason it looks like that is because the sun is low enough to cut through the dust layer. 
and all, even the blue, the reason your veins look blue, it's the only frequency that can pass through, right? It, it doesn't even pass through because of this dust layer. That's the flesh. And that's not a lie. You just started the camera rolling too late. Back here it says, that has nothing to do with God or his greatness because that's just the sun coming through the dust layer, right? That's the lie. And that's the flesh. God, when you, have you seen the creation and let it change you? Has it made you more like Jesus? To see God's creation, I challenge you to look at it. We run the risk of not acknowledging him or giving thanks to him in his answer to prayer or his provision. My friend Andy, we lived in Alaska, far from the Bible bell. And the two of us went through the church nursery together at First Baptist Valdez, Southern Baptist Church in Alaska. And we traversed through school together, the only two people among our friends that went to church on any regular basis. Years later, his dad gets very sick, and Davette, his sweet mother, is on her knees praying in the hospital that he will cross this threshold that they're looking for, and they do not think it's going to happen. And Andy, on some level at this point, is also leaning on the Lord with whatever hope he had, faith he had left. And God does the miraculous and confounds the doctors, and he recovers. David, praise the Lord, right? She's more like Jesus. Why? Because she's leaning on the Lord, and she saw him provide. She knows he'll provide. Jesus' name says, Jehovah saves. It points to the Father. But Andy listens to the flesh. No, Mom. That was the technology. It was the doctor's. He's missed it. God was going to make him more like Jesus, and he missed it. Some years later, Ron does die. I design life insurance. Whole life pays. It pays every time. That's why term's so cheap. It never pays. They know you're not going to die, right? So here it is. He dies. Andy goes off the deep end spiritually. But the change has already occurred in David. And her testimony is, God is good. Y'all, we have the Rothrocks over here. Is God good? Amen. The change has already happened. They've become more like Jesus. It's easy to miss that. We run the very real risk of not acknowledging him or giving him thanks in the miraculous. What? All the time. In the miraculous. The leper, Luke 17, 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices. This, is, this could be the prayer one as well. Okay? Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. As they went, they left. They were cleansed. It wasn't the discount. It wasn't just the upper extremity, right? It was the whole thing. This is the God we serve. They were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back and praised God with a loud voice and fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. thanks. Giving him thanks. Are you seeing the pattern? He acknowledged him. 
for what he did and gave him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Any Jews in here are like, ew, right? Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? You think Jesus knows where the nine are? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? We have on Jesus' authority that they did not praise God for this. If you just put this on a diagram, a grammar diagram, it says it just like that. They did not give praise, right? And he said to them, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. I always like it when Jesus adds that next statement. Um, he's, He's fond of doing that in a few places. They missed it. It was miraculous, and they missed it. How could they do that? Happens all the time. The feeding of the 5,000, the 4,000. He just fed the 5,000. They're like, where are we going to get any bread, right? They missed it. And if you're ready for this, Peter on the water. Jesus, it's you. I know you can do it. Let me walk to you on the water. He's like, come on, right? So, so he's walking on the water. He believes. He sees Jesus. But then the flesh. What's the one question Jesus asks him after that? Why did you doubt? That wasn't the Lord. That was the flesh. That was the flesh saying, you fool. You've hazarded your life out here. You're standing on an unstable surface. And Peter listened for the moment. The miraculous, and even Peter. Peter missed it in the moment. All right. I hope you're seeing that this is, this is way bigger than we sometimes give it credit for. Now let's get out of the hole. If that's true, when I get off the path with Jesus and follow earthly things. It's easy to think about sexual sin, murder. You're like, well, I don't go there. No, the metric is not your neighbor. It's not the person sitting next to you. It's Jesus. Selfish thought. Pride. When I get off the path, and the flesh tries to take me through his lies and not let me be like more like Jesus, what can I do? How can I not let this happen? Romans 10.9 If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Praise God. It's easy to catch on to believe. The righteous shall live by faith, right? I believed, and he saved me. But there's another word up here. Well, inconvenient truth, right? Not inconvenient. God meant it to be there. Confess with your mouth. If you confess with your mouth, and I want to tell you, it changes us to say it. Any Toby Mac fans in here? You were there. You heard my prayer in that broke down dusty room. It's the first time I said I'm yours. The first time I perceived you were Lord. The first time I recognized you were Lord. The first time I understood you were Lord. The first time I called you Lord. That's categorically different, isn't it? It changes us to say it. One of the clearest examples in the Bible, I love this one, is in Luke 8, 42 through 48. Amen. I didn't put it up. I don't think I put it up here. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just give it to you. 
because I love it. Love this one. This lady's been bleeding for years. Flow of blood, can't stop it. She's been to all the doctors. She even went to the chiropractor because she'd seen everybody else, right? Unfortunately, she got some relief, but her, she still bled. So she, she sees Jesus in the press. That's where we get that word, right? They're pressing him. Meet the press, right? It's the press. So he's got all the press, and it's important. That's part of the story. There's so many people around him that she thinks. And I love Luke's account because he gives us the nitty-gritty details. I could sneak up on him from behind and touch the hem of his garment. Not the shoulder. The hem. And we know she was nervous about this because of the way she responds. So Jesus asked the question in the press, who touched me? <laughs> and, and they almost make fun of him, right? Who touched me? Do you ask who touched me in all the press? Now, here at Cobblestone, we know Jesus pretty well, right? Does Jesus know who touched him? 100%. Who touched me? But why does he say it? Because he makes her say it. She comes to him trembling. Why? Because she was about to have the most dirty secret of her life. I snuck up on the Savior and took advantage of him. I exploited his power and I cowered away. And now, even though I'm healed, I, know I never feel the same again. I live in shame because of this. Jesus is like, Mm-mm, we're not going to let that happen. Who touched me? I did, right? Your faith has made you well. Go in shame. Go in. Uh-uh. Go in what? Peace. And as I'm fond of reminding, not as the world gives peace, right? It's God's peace. Look how that changed her. Now she has a testimony. She had a dirty secret before, but now she has a testimony. It changes us to say it. So here it is. If you see God in your circumstance, through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, through your believing neighbor, through the admonition of a fellow believer, through the miraculous, and you're like, I'd never miss the miraculous. <laughs> Happened. Yeah. I'd like to say that too. Making me more like Jesus. If you see God in your circumstance, I want you to do two things. Tell him. Tell him. How many times did God remind in the scripture, through his prophets, through his apostles, remind the people what he did in Egypt? Have you ever paid attention to that? How many times that whole discourse is run through again? I don't either. It's a ton. It is a ton. Every time, because the people are not walking like Jesus. They're not walking the way of life. And he tells them again why. So they'd see him again at this junction point with the flesh and go, oh, I'm going to be more like Jesus because I saw God. Tell him, the feasts, the feast. to, to this day they celebrate the Feast of Purim. That's probably a bad example. God didn't give him that one. I've challenged Jehovah's Witnesses with that before. Does he hate the Feast of Purim? He hates all man-made holidays, right? The Feast of Weeks, the Passover, they celebrate these to this day. God is a God of repetition. Why? Because he knows we're going to get here, and we're going to need to hear it again. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit so he will remind you of what I said. Jesus says, 
as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. There it is again. Remembrance of me. I, I was just sharing in the, <laughs> the elder meeting. It was, we, it was, it was, we were challenged to admit, where do we feel alive in the ministry right now? And I said, right here, serving communion to my family here. You. We're back to the physical elements. It's not like, open your little cup. No, this is come. This is the blood of Jesus shed for you. This is his body broken for you, right? This. Do it in remembrance of me. Will you, are you, will you let it change you? To make you more like Jesus? That's what, that's what it's there for. Secondly, tell your neighbor. Psalm 22, 22. I will praise you to all my brothers. I will stand before the congregation and testify of the wonderful things you've done. Why? John 15, 27. And you will also testify, bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Testify. Tell your neighbor. God's glory is magnified. And remember, it changes us to say it. You don't have a dirty secret. You have the words of God. Andrew said it the other day. The kingdom of God is where you work. Why? Because you're there. Because you're there. Do you remember what God's done for you in the last week? Do you have anything to give thanks for in the last week? I don't think so. There was the flesh again. The flesh was like, no, no, it's this. And you're like, what? Right? There we are. God is glorified. <laughs> Telling him, I missed this, and now I'm going to give it to you. I want to tell you what's worked for me. Thank him in your prayers, rehearsing what he has done. Goodness, this, in my prayer... If you're not making any time for prayer, start there. I challenge you. Start there. In my prayer time, apart from the table, here I am. Sit, oh, you can sit on this. It's meant to be sat on. It's late. Kids are still making noise because they get to bed so late these days. But here I am, right? I'm praying. And I come to this part. This is my, I think it's just about my favorite part. Lord, this is the move that I talked about. Thank you for making us wait. We didn't want to wait. Thank you. Thank you for making us wait all that time. Lord, we didn't know the accident. Lord, thank you for her heart. Thank you for the insurance you made me get. I did not want it. I argued with the salesman. You can't leave this lot without having full coverage. What? You lied to me. You were going to give it to me for this price, and I got to force my hand with my insurance. Thank you, Lord, for making me get that insurance. I didn't want it. Lord, thank you for giving me the wife of my prayers. Lord, I didn't even know. I prayed all this time and you gave her to me. Oh my goodness, right? I'm praying, I'm thanking him for it. Look at this. Look what happens. I remember all these things that God did. Why? Because I'm thanking him for it. I acknowledged him in that. And I gave thanks to him. And it changes me. You better believe the next time, the next thing I'm praying about, and I'm like, Lord, I lift up Katie Bear to you. She got hit in the face with a baseball bat. Healer. Guess what? How you doing, Katie? You're doing better. <laughs> yeah, right. So it changes it. It changes me to say it. But God wants to hear it. Guess what? We're back in Romans 1. We're back in Romans 1. They knew God, but they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. 
Acknowledge him. Give him the thanks. And then acknowledge him to your neighbor. Look what God did for me. And give thanks to him. This is the pattern. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This is the conflict. God is invading my circumstance to make me more like Jesus in a hurry. And the flesh is here. This is the Spirit of God convicting me, and this is the flesh of Satan tempting me with familiar things that sound true, because they are true. You just started the camera a little too late. This is the part about God. This is where the flesh picks up. It's a lie. It's a lie. God's glory is magnified. And remember, it changes us to say it. Spending that time in prayer, I hope that you can see. Maybe you don't spend any time in prayer. I didn't always spend time in prayer. Spending time in prayer has been transformative to me. And not in the least because of this right here, what we're talking about. Thanking God for what he did. That is not a one and done. Our God is a God of repetition. He knows that we're prone to wander. And he wants us to remember. It's not, we're not to be ashamed that we do forget. Because he knows we forget. It's built into the system that we should be reminded. And goodness, the communion. Will you let it change you? Will you let it make you more like Jesus? This message surprised me. I did not see it coming at all. I was not scheduled for it. I never looked at Romans 1 this way. But here it is, and it's unmistakable. We run the risk of not being more like Jesus when God shows up. And that sounds impossible, but it happens all the time. Just read the gospel. Jesus told it to him straight. Didn't miss a word. They didn't listen, right? They killed him. I want to pray. We'll have the prayer people up here. For the things that you might want prayer about. None of us looks just like Jesus. I'm really far away, but I'm doing better. I'm doing better. He's keeping shorter accounts with me by reminding me of what he has done. If you need prayer, don't wait. Now's the time. If you are not spending any time in prayer apart from the dinner table, I challenge you. Jesus challenges you. Lean on the Lord. Find, see if you can take three minutes and think of three or four things that you have seen God do. And thank him for it. Acknowledge him for it. And let it change you. Let it change you. Holy Father, oh, thank you for your blessed word that we are following, Father, and that Romans 1 landed today. Seems like chance. That's the flesh. It wasn't. It was you. Thank you. I want to acknowledge you in that. Thank you for it. Thank you for giving us this message, Lord. Giving me this message. I didn't even think about it. Thank you. Father, open our eyes to the lies of the flesh. Drag it out into the light where we can see it from all sides and recognize it for what it is. The lies that we're believing, Father, 
because we don't start early enough to hear you say it. Oh, Lord, meet us here at that threshold. This spiritual battle between the Spirit and the flesh, between God and our adversary. Lord, remind us, wake us up, teach us to thank you, teach us to point to you. Remind us that it changes us to make us more like you, just to say it. Lord, we love you, we praise you. We come to you in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you need prayer for anything, you can email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com or you can go on our website at www.cobblestonechurch.com and submit it there. We'd love to pray for you. Have a great week and God bless.